in the north east of Israel near the border with Lebanon and Syria there's a place called Banias if you go there now it there's a natural uh, natural reserve called Banias natural reserve and Banias is the Arabic form of the name Panias Panias was the city that the Greeks built in that very spot hundreds of years before Christ when the Greeks had the Greek Empire and they built the city Panias in honor of the Greek god Pan and if you remember your Greek mythology you might know that Pan is the the god that is half goat half man and he plays the Pan flute that's Pan he's a god of fertility and the Greeks build Panias at this site because there's a, a big rock face a massive massive cliff a rock with a cave a huge cave entrance and they believed that that cave was the entrance to the underworld to Hades literally the gates of Hades and they believed that the gods the Greek gods would go in there into the underworld for the winter so in the spring people would go to Panias and do all these fertility rituals sacrifices and they sacrifice goats to entice Pan to come back out for the spring to do whatever he had to do for fertility things so out of the cave there was also several springs that would come out and they feed the Banias River which in turn feeds the River Jordan so in the times of the Romans hundreds of years later King Herod Herod the Great remember Herod he was the king when Jesus was born Herod gives the city of Panias to his son Philip and Philip builds a palace there he lives there and he rededicates the city to the Roman Emperor the Caesar and he renames it Caesarea Philippi so it's the same place but even in the times of the Romans Caesarea Philippi continue being continues being a place of pagan worship there, there, there are all these temples and people still believe in this fertility God and they go there and do their fertility rituals and sacrifices and of course the Romans also worshipped the Emperor because they believe the Emperor the Caesar was a son of a deity so there's no reason why any good observant Jew would ever have to go to Caesarea Philippi so who knows why Jesus decided to take the disciples there on this particular day the, the the second reading in the second reading Saint Paul tells the Romans that who has known the mind of the Lord well who knows because God only knows why Jesus decided to go there with the disciples but I can imagine their conversation as they sit just outside of the city looking at the rock the cliff the cave 
the temples, the palace, and maybe Nathaniel says, wow, this place is crazy. Look at all this stuff. And then Andrew says, yeah, but it's pretty cool how they've built everything out of the out of the rock face and how they've carved those niches into the rock where they put the statues of their Greek gods. And John asks, and what's that building over there? And James says, that's where they sacrifice the goats. And then they take the goats and throw them into the cave and they say that in the spring, the, the water is turned red with all the blood. And Andrew goes, ugh. And then Thomas says, I can't believe that these people actually think that these gods are real. They're, they're dead. These gods are not real. And Andrew says, yeah, and the people who worship the Roman emperor, the Caesar, he's not the son of God. He's the son of man. And Philip says, not the son of man that the prophet Daniel talked about. And all the disciples nod because they know their scripture and they know what the prophet Daniel said about the Son of Man. And then Jesus takes the opportunity and he says, well, you guys, you guys, you, you're friends. You talk to people in Capernaum. You're Jewish friends. What do they say about the Son of Man? And Andrew clarifies, do you mean the Son of Man that Daniel talks about? And Jesus says, yeah. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Andrew says, well, Elijah and Jeremiah and some people think some of the other prophets. And Philip says, and John the Baptist, some people think it was John the Baptist. And Jesus asks, well, and what, do you, what do you guys think? What do you think about the Son of Man? And James James says, well, the prophet Ezekiel refers to himself as the Son of Man like 90 times in Scripture. And then there's some silence. And Jesus playfully asks them, really, guys? No one says that I'm the Son of Man? And the disciples are not too sure how to respond to this. And then Jesus says, what do you think? Who do you say that I am? And then there's silence. And Simon, very quietly, as he's looking down at the running water, says, you are the Christ. You, you are the Messiah. You are not the son of man. You're the son of God, but not these gods. They're dead. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, God bless you, Simon. I'm going to tell you who you are, Simon, son of Jonah. You're a rock. And at this, some of the other disciples chuckle a little bit because they, they know how hard-headed Simon is. And Jesus says, you, you are a rock, but not like this rock. You are the rock. And on this rock, not that rock, on this rock, I'm going to assemble the people that I will call. And that assembly will endure forever.
Not like these things. None of these, in a hundred years, none of these things will be here. But my assembly of the people that I will call will prevail. And the gates of Hades? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And you know what else? Do you remember how the prophet Isaiah gave Eliakim the keys to the house of David? Well, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you close on earth will be closed in heaven, and whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. And then uh, I don't know, I don't know what happened next. I don't know if that prompted more conversation, more questions, or maybe there was silence. But I'm pretty sure that Simon was silent, contemplating what had just happened, and maybe contemplating that new name that he had been given, the rock, Peter. But I know one thing. I know that there was a primacy that Peter had, even before this point, among all the other disciples. You know, maybe the disciples were confused. Did, 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 what, why did Jesus tell us to not tell anyone that he's the Christ? Or did, did Jesus just give the keys to Simon? Or did he give the keys to all of us? And I'm sure that all of that would have been explained later. But it was clear already at that point that Simon was a leader of that group. And we know because when you look at Scripture, Simon Peter is mentioned at every important moment by name. And when other disciples are named, Peter is always named first. When John arrives at the tomb, he waits for Peter to come. And then he lets Peter go in first. And Peter preaches that first sermon at Pentecost. We know historically that Peter and James were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And we know that when Peter goes to Rome, he is the leader of the church in Rome. And we know that every other leader since then, every other pope, can be traced right back to Peter and right back to Jesus at this moment in Caesarea Philippi. And I, I also know three things that we can tell about the church from, these, from this story that I want you to remember. And the first is that this assembly of the people that Christ himself calls. That's how Jesus would have said it in Aramaic. It's been translated to the Greek ecclesia, which is the word for church. Later on, St. Paul defines ecclesia as the body of Christ, the church. Us, we, the church, are the body of Christ. Don't ever forget that. The church is the body of Christ. Second, Jesus tells Simon Peter that whatever he just said about the Christ, he didn't learn from other people. He, he didn't read it in a book. He didn't hear his friends talking about it. It was revealed to him by the Heavenly Father by the Holy Spirit. So right from the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit has been working, acting, and the disciples are going to find out this very powerfully at Pentecost. But even before, the Holy Spirit has been guiding and inspiring the church. 
And that continues to this day. The Holy Spirit continues guiding and inspiring the church. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, there's no point in being a member of this church. And third, the church will prevail. As the psalm says, it will endure forever. If you go to Banias today, there's nothing there. There's just a bunch of ruins. The rock, in a, in a couple hundred thousand years, that rock won't be there. The spring's not even coming out of the cave anymore. The Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, they're gone. Every single earthly power that has persecuted the church is no longer here. And we know that the church will continue to be persecuted and will continue to be ridiculed and attacked because Jesus was persecuted and ridiculed and attacked. And we know that any earthly power that will persecute the church in the future will not last. But the church will prevail. The church will endure as long as we need a church here on earth. They can close our churches. They can cancel mass. They can make Christianity illegal. They can ban the sacraments. They could burn all the Bibles. They could destroy all our statues. They could put all the priests in jail. They could kill all the priests. They could kill all of us. And the church would still prevail. It would still prevail because the church, the Catholic church, is the body of Christ. The Catholic church is the body of Christ, the son of the living God. The church will prevail because it is inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. The church will prevail because it is founded by Jesus Christ, who is the rock, the sun that never sets. And he has founded it as a rock, as, as a peg that is fixed in a sure spot on the rock that he made into a rock, Peter, Petrus. And every successor of Peter since. The Church of Christ will prevail. It will endure forever. And nothing, 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 nothing will prevail against it. <laughs>